crunching numbers to stop COVID. We protect everybody by really stopping transmission. Why researchers say essential workers should move up the vaccine priority list. Vancouver School Board gives itself a raise. Well, that's two years of retroactive uh, pay increases that were done in a closed door meeting. How the VSB justifies the retroactive pay increase. And a teen's outfit gets her thrown out of school. She was sent home wearing for wearing this beautiful dress and a turtleneck. Her frustrated father gives the teacher's wardrobe policy a failing grade. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We start tonight with research showing there might be a better way to organize mass vaccinations in BC. A Simon Fraser University research group now says essential workers should be bumped up near the top of the queue. But as Jordan Armstrong reports, there are questions about the logistics of such a plan. It is the biggest vaccination campaign in BC's history, and it's primarily age-based. But a COVID-19 modeler at SFU claims there's a better way. She says vaccinate essential workers before some seniors. So that could be staff and teachers in schools, it could be grocery workers, it could be uh, firefighters. Now, Carolyn Killane agrees healthcare workers and seniors over 80 should go first. But after then, she says a system that gives priority to high-contact essential workers could lead to fewer hospitalizations and deaths. We could end up protecting two elderly people by vaccinating one essential worker. We protect everybody by really stopping transmission so that some people are just never exposed at all. She claims there could be up to 200,000 fewer infections, 600 fewer deaths, and $230 million in health care costs saved. The SFU modeling did not factor in logistical challenges of a different strategy. How and who, for example, would validate a person's occupation? And should someone be allowed to get a part-time job as a grocery bagger just to get the vaccine sooner? I think there would be logistical challenges, but I think the benefits are so high that it's worth looking into how to meet those. The medical director of the Vancouver Infectious Diseases Centre says the report isn't the whole story, but it makes good points. We've thought that the 20 to 39-year-olds will vaccinate them in August, September, October. It turns out that we may need to vaccinate them sooner to prevent them from suffering long-term consequences. However, he adds, models are meant to better inform public health policy, not definitively guide it. So is there any serious thought to changing B.C.'s priority schedule? The official answer is no, at least not yet. And that is an important um, piece that we are looking at at a different point. So once we get to a certain part of our age-based program, that is the core of what we're doing, um, and we have enough vaccine, we will be looking at how do we do that effectively. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. Let's take a look at the latest COVID-19 numbers for our province. We have 456 new cases, bringing BC's total to 78,278. Sadly, two more people have died, which means we've now lost 1,338 people to complications of the virus. 237 patients are in hospitals, 64 of those in the ICU. 72,219 people are considered recovered, and that leaves us with 4,668 active cases and 7,924 people in self-isolation. 
Keith Baldry joins us now to talk a little bit about the anxiety that many people are feeling, Keith, mm -hmm. especially our seniors, about booking an appointment for their inoculation. Mm -hmm. Alberta's system was instantly overwhelmed, so yep. what are health officials here saying about the system we're putting together? Yeah, it's going to be a different system, at least at the beginning, uh, compared to Alberta's, Chris. So we're Again, we're vaccinating more than 200,000 people over the age of 80 who may not be as conversant with websites, online bookings and such, or smartphones and such. So that's not the approach BC's taking through the month of March when these inoculations were heard. Here's our plan, a vaccination rollout plan, multi-pronged approach to contact, uh, contacting seniors over the age of 50 in March. It uh, takes different approach. For example, using the old-fashioned way, a lot of seniors still get their mail and they read their mail. So mail phone, landlines, and cell phones, drop-in senior centers, or, fa or family doctors or, or caregivers are also going to be used for contact as well as home support services. Uh, there's going to be less tech-based approach for seniors over the age of 80, again, because they are not of a generation that is as comfortable necessarily with smartphones and surfing the internet. And finally, we will get a website up and running, but not until April when mass vaccinations begin, starting with the age uh, 75 to uh, people age 75 to 79. There will be... Uh, to register online or in person or over the phone. Those number, those details will be shared Monday, of course, Monday morning, a big briefing with all the nitty-gritty details of how the vaccination will roll out in terms of how you're contacted or where you go or who talks to you. So that's on Monday. Tomorrow, though, an unusual time for a briefing from Dr. Bonnie Henry and Health Minister Adrian Dix. 1 p.m. tomorrow, not 3 p.m., 1 p.m. We'll be carrying that live on BC1. Set your calendars accordingly. All right, <laughs> thanks very much, Keith. Anti-maskers were handed more than $900 in fines on BC ferries over the weekend. Two women, aged 19 and 43, walked on to the Queen of Cowichan on Sunday from Horseshoe Bay, bound for Departure Bay. RCMP say they ignored repeated warnings about the mandatory mask policy and were yelling and screaming at staff throughout the sailing. When the ferry docked in Nanaimo, the pair were arrested for mischief and causing a disturbance, as well as being intoxicated in a public place. They spent the night in jail and were served additional tickets under the Emergency Program Act for failing to wear a face covering. People have to understand, you can't threaten a police officer when he's there simply to do his job. They could have been looking at a serious criminal code offense of uttering threats. The officers elected not to and they pursued the, the COVID-19 protocol fines. They are quite apologetic at the end of the evening, of course, when they're sober. Nevertheless, uh, they, they got quite a break. The pandemic and its travel restrictions likely mean spots will go fast when the online reservation system for B.C. campsites opens on March 8th. The system allows B.C. residents to get priority booking spots two months in advance of their stay. B.C. Park says they're expecting another very busy season. If the experience of last summer is any indication, plenty of British Columbians are planning a camping staycation, so Parks is encouraging everyone to have a backup plan. The Vancouver School Board is embroiled in controversy once again, this time over its trustees' pay. The latest debate was sparked when a former trustee revealed that trustees had voted themselves a pay raise in a closed-door meeting. Grace Key reports. The board approved a retroactive adjustment to VSB trustee compensation to account for the loss of tax treatment for non-accountable allowances. In a matter of seconds, the public was officially notified that the Vancouver School Board trustees gave themselves a raise. And these elected public officials discussed their raises behind closed doors. The public deserves to know why raises are being uh, voted on 
and who is voting for them, who's voting against them, and what the rationale is. The raise makes up for the elimination of a federal tax exemption that affects part of their compensation. Each of the nine trustees will get roughly $2,000 extra a year. It's also retroactive for two years when the exemption was eliminated. Personnel matters are considered in a private meeting with the full expectation that we would report out at a public meeting. As well, um, trustee remuneration is reported in our policy and policy seven. It clearly states what trustees receive. And so that information was uh, fully available to the public. It's not a huge amount of money. And I I don't uh, begrudge trustees being paid a reasonable amount to compensate for their time. Uh, It's the process that concerns me that this was done behind closed doors and it makes you question what else is happening in those closed door meetings. We didn't do that when I was on the Vancouver School Board and it troubles me that they're doing it now. How each trustee voted and why is a secret because it was done in private session. So I can only speak to the way the board voted on it. We report out on board decisions and once the decision is made, then everybody on the board has to stand beside that behind that decision. The chair points out that other districts also gave themselves raises because of the exemption. Some were done in public, others in private. Grace Key, Global News. A spending scandal in Kamloops is leading to demands for more accountability at the municipal level. For years, a district chair submitted expenses for pricey meals and even jewelry. It totaled more than half a million dollars paid for by taxpayers. Catherine Urquhart reports. As chief administrative officer of the Thompson Nicola Regional District, Sue Gill had an annual salary of more than $200,000. He also charged more than half a million dollars to his work credit card over a five-year period. I thought it was was highly inappropriate, and I think it was a colossal waste of taxpayer money. Taxpayers paid about $8,000 for a night out at the swanky Barefoot Bistro in Whistler. They also paid more than $1,000 for a diamond and gold necklace he bought for a retiring colleague. And there were dozens of other receipts he submitted for meals and coffees. The scandal was uncovered by a Kamloops reporter who made more than three dozen freedom of information requests. We found um, $500,000 charged to a taxpayer-funded credit card, including about $174,000 worth of coffee shop and restaurant expenses. And again, this was all taxpayer-funded. The Thompson-Nicola Regional District told Global News that, technically, Sue Gill didn't violate any rules or laws, although it has made changes to expense-related policies. Well, this was just a jaw-dropping amount of spending, uh, more than $500,000 in taxpayers' money being wasted, and much of it on booze and restaurants. It's completely unacceptable. We need a municipal auditor general office in British Columbia, a permanent one, one that is well-funded, well-staffed, and efficient, and it gets results. Right now, we kind of sort of technically have one, but it's in name only. Gill resigned from the district last year, but many questions remain. We still don't know why um, Gill was given a half a million dollar settlement sorry, for leaving the TNRD. So there are questions that remain unanswered. Sue Gill was also serving on the board of directors of Thompson Rivers University. The university has just announced Gill's resignation. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. 
The mayor of the northern B.C. community of Pouscoupe is refusing to resign despite the controversy over a social media post that critics say is racist. Screenshots have been circulating of a Facebook post by Lorraine McKetty where she says, don't want pipelines? They want to protect our land. Yeah, okay, along with photos of homes with garbage-strewn lawns. Critics claim it's a racist reference to Indigenous pipeline opponents. McKetty has apologized for the post, which she says is a year or two old and admits was a mistake. Regardless, Puskope Council has voted to remove her from all committee and board duties and has asked her to resign. She is refusing to resign but says she will take a First Nations awareness program. The Vancouver man who ended up in hospital after a confrontation with an anti-gay street preacher is suing his alleged attacker. Justin Morissette also names the city of Vancouver and Vancouver police, alleging the VPD didn't do enough to enforce the law. Global's Imada Gahi has the details. Tibial plateau fracture. A badly dislocated knee that was like hanging on. Justin Morissette is finally able to stand on his own feet. It's been a process and I have better days and and worse days. The preacher was arrested. Six months ago, he was involved in a violent confrontation proving to be the tipping point in a series of combative. Non-binary person, why are you so angry? And many times hostile disputes between some calling themselves men of faith and those standing up for Vancouver's gay community. This is my neighborhood, I don't like hate. The so-called street preachers began popping up last summer. Between Oceanside baptisms and pushing and shoving. You touch me again. Their hateful language towards the LGBT community was what many heard broadcasting through their portable amplifiers. Like the one Morissette heard outside his apartment in late August. You want to tell yourself that if I saw that, I would do something. There was palpable hurt on the face of people in that crowd. For his part in trying to intervene, Morissette was allegedly assaulted by a street preacher named Dory Love. I'm struggling with homosexuality, transgenderism. Who's still facing charges. And now a lawsuit in which Morissette's lawyer says the police and the city also failed. If the police had enforced their bylaws, ensured that this man didn't uh, continue to harangue and disturb the community in this way, we say this would never have occurred. Well, the city and VPD have yet to comment on those allegations against them. And this comes as city councillors spent the better part of five hours on Wednesday debating whether to ban those loud amplifiers that were used by the street preachers in the West End last summer without a permit. So it doesn't actually stop the amplification of hate speech. It adds a procedural step so that anyone who wants to amplify noise, whether for socially useful or harmful purposes, applies for a permit. If you ask Morissette, he'll tell you his horrible injury and everything that has followed has been the worst experience of his life. But it may have been necessary. It did take, uh, you know, something awful to happen here for it to actually be dealt with by authorities. And that's really unfortunate. None of the allegations in his lawsuit have been responded to or proven in court. Emadagahi, Global News. Kamloops students walk out in protest to support a fellow student. A teenager sent home from school by a teacher who didn't like what she was wearing. The backlash from her friends and her father. Next on the News Hour.
Another vaccine gets closer to approval in the U.S. Why Johnson & Johnson could be a game changer coming up on the news hour. And riding a wave, the Vancouver Boat Show goes virtual, hoping high demand makes for smooth sailing. That's coming up later. Right now, though, a Kamloops grade 12 student says she did nothing wrong after being sent home for a dress code violation. Karis Wilson has the support of her father and her classmates saying she shouldn't be held responsible for how others react to her choices in clothing. John Wall reports. After school, they gathered and chanted in support of how a fellow student chose to dress. All because Karis Wilson's teachers ruled this outfit was too risque. I put the turtleneck underneath and then I didn't think anything of it. I didn't think that they would have anything to say about it. Instead, the 17-year-old Kamloops student says she was sent home Monday from Norcam Senior Secondary in tears. I felt empty and I felt sad and I felt like an object. A dress with lace accent she's worn in public many times before supposedly reminded both a female teacher and male teaching student too much of lingerie. I know conservative clothing when I see it, and I know that my outfit was not showing anything. Not to wear clothing that is distracting to teaching or learning. Wilson's father, Christopher, calling out the school's dress code on social media. That might make them think sexual thoughts about you, and that's not okay, so you need to change. In a statement, the Kamloops-Thompson School District writes, we are also concerned about these allegations and are treating them seriously. The incident is currently under review. We will not comment on the incident specifically. Someone, just because they don't like your outfit, should not be able to send you home and affect your education just because they are sexualizing you. Many say they understand the need for a dress code, but what's deemed as distracting needs to be addressed. Women are always taught to cover up, whereas men should be taught to control themselves and control their thoughts. Wilson says it doesn't matter if she wears this dress or her usual cotton sweats. It will take a while for her to feel comfortable in the classroom again. John Hua, Global News. Well, we could see snow tonight across parts of the south coast. Meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us with details. Lots of uncertainty, though, Christy. Yes, as is always the case across the south coast, Sophie. So tonight, we're going to drop down to just above the freezing mark. We do have the potential of seeing some snow or wet snow, but it's mainly going to be a higher elevation snow event. But for Metro Vancouver, we'll see a range, as we always do in Metro Vancouver. So some isolated areas, certainly higher elevations, could see up to 10. But areas near the water, southwestern, Metro Vancouver may not see any at all and it may just be rain and quite a variation across the south coast uh, sorry Vancouver Island regions as well I expect Victoria likely will only see periods of rain the one area we are concerned about is the Howe Sound region Sea to Sky Highway that is currently under a snowfall warning I'll have more details on that when I come back all right thanks Christy also just ahead Victoria's vandalism problem gets worse you know, one of the uh, campers was, uh, got upset and took a sledgehammer to one of the park's vehicles. The homeless encampment that seems to be at the center of the problem. But first, Dr. Henry drops a bombshell on the RCMP. What she said that has the Mounties firing back. Good evening and good news. Final clearing stages of a multi-vehicle accident here in Surrey that still has 80th Avenue blocked in both directions between 128th and 130th Streets. Today's Lotto 649 jackpot is an estimated $8 million plus an additional guaranteed $1 million prize. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above a crash in Surrey. 
Dr. Bonnie Henry recently spoke at a hearing on police reform in B.C. and some of her comments are not sitting well with RCMP officers. Speaking to a legislative committee in Victoria, the provincial health officer suggested that civic forces are better able than RCMP to deal with the health and well-being of the homeless, mentally ill and people with addiction issues. She claims, as an example, that due to a national policy, frontline RCMP officers were not allowed to carry naloxone except for use on fellow officers who were exposed to opioids. And one of the challenges that I find we have here in British Columbia with the way our police services are established is that we have municipal police services or police forces that um, are, in my experience anyway, uh, more closely aligned with the community and the community norms and ideas and issues. The union representing RCMP officers has sent a scathing letter to BC's top doctor calling her comments inaccurate and disrespectful. Copies were also sent to the health and public safety ministers and the RCMP's commanding officer in BC. It has been a very busy couple of days for Victoria's bylaw and police officers investigating acts of vandalism that have left big repair bills. At the center of all of the acts, Beacon Hill Park, the homeless encampment. Kylie Stanton has more. So, when I show you this shot, when a photo gets this kind of reaction. Well, I have to say it's pretty disappointing to see this. I just can't understand why people would do something like that. It can't be good news. It's troubling. The statue of Queen Elizabeth II was discovered like this in Beacon Hill Park on Wednesday. The head knocked off, nowhere to be found. It's just very disrespectful. It is the Queen of England. I mean, it's just anarchy. But this is just the latest in a string of blatant acts of vandalism across Victoria. On Wednesday, these messages were spray-painted on walls and windows of downtown buildings as part of what appears to be a graffiti spree taking direct aim at Victoria bylaw officers. To take to vandalism and to take to graffiti in the form that that it was taken and, and using the language that it's taken, unacceptable. Tensions have been on the rise between bylaw and campers who are making parks and parking lots home. But as the pandemic wears on, it's becoming increasingly difficult to monitor. And now it seems to have hit a breaking point. Things are coming to a head because it's been almost a year of shelterlessness with no housing, no shelters, no supports except what can be provided in an ad hoc way. For the business community, which is often left to clean up the mess, sympathy is wearing thin. For business owners that are just hanging on, uh, for their employees that are just hoping to have another shift, this is the type of stuff that is really demoralizing. This all comes just one day after a parks worker had their truck window smashed with a sledgehammer. The suspect fled on his bike back here to Beacon Hill Park, where patrol officers later arrested him. He has since been released, but police say it's too soon to know if the incidents are connected. It's difficult to say. You know, We're actually not even sure if it was one individual, whether it was multiple individuals, um, but the investigation is in its early stages. Police are now appealing to the public for any any information or surveillance video asking them to come forward. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. Just ahead, a major breakthrough for the U.S. vaccine rollout. We anticipate allocating three to four million doses of Johnson & Johnson vaccine next week. The arrival of another vaccine option just as concerns about the California variant take off. Also tonight, lifting each other up on Pink Shirt Day. 
airflow is out and traffic is steady in both directions over here to and from the Massey Tunnel. Keep in mind there's overnight maintenance and lane closures between 10 p.m. and 5 a.m. Is buying a home still possible? A CIBC Mortgage Advisor will show you how to make your ambition real. Plus, get up to $3,000 cash back. Conditions apply. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. There are new developments in the COVID-19 battle south of the border. The U.S. is on the verge of approving its third vaccine. The FDA saying the Johnson & Johnson product is safe and effective. And the sooner the better it's approved because new data shows a new and even more transmissible variant is gaining strength on the West Coast. Global's Reggie Cicchini explains. The pressure facing America's vaccine effort could be only days away from easing. For weeks, only Pfizer and Moderna's vaccines have contributed to the more than 62 million doses delivered. Our single-dose vaccine will be a critical tool for fighting this global pandemic. If approved, the highly anticipated entrance of Johnson & Johnson offers a new path to normal. We anticipate allocating 3 to 4 million doses of Johnson & Johnson vaccine next week. The doses do not require specialized freezing and have longer shelf life, which could be a game changer in vulnerable and more rural communities. 28 days after vaccination, the vaccine provided complete protection against COVID-19 related hospital and hospitalization and death. Its entry into the market runs headfirst into the challenges from COVID-19 survival instincts. Viruses mutate, they mutate all the time. Earlier this month, lab samples in California confirmed a new variant that could evade the immune system and be more deadly. We have 30 state genomics labs that are doing isolate testing. Genomic surveillance is so critical. It should be a cornerstone of all of our work here. We need to act proactively as opposed to reactively. In January, 50% of samples tested around San Francisco contained that variant, which could be linked to a spike in infections late last year. We've got to be prepared that variables are there and we could get another surge. There's a concern this strain could be contracted and merge with a different strain, creating a so-called nightmare scenario that could undo downward trends in daily cases. We anticipate that we'll see it everywhere here in the United States. It certainly will be competing with the B117 UK strain um, for, for dominance. While the studies still need to be peer-reviewed, epidemiologists say the findings allow for science to stay one step ahead of the virus. Reggie Cicchini, Global News, Washington. And Health Canada is expected to make a decision on the Johnson & Johnson vaccine in the next few days. Canada has ordered 10 million doses from the company and has options for up to 28 million more if necessary. It looks like Canada's other deadly health crisis is taking a back seat to the pandemic, at least as far as public perception is concerned. As Aaron MacArthur reports, a new survey has found that far fewer British Columbians are paying attention to drug overdoses, even though they are still taking more lives than COVID-19. We have all heard the sirens. Too many people with deeply personal connections to the opioid crisis. And yet Canadians seem to be ignoring it. I actually don't see it as apathy. I see it as, as overload. Leslie McBain's son died of an overdose in 2014. Since then, the list of fatalities has grown alarmingly long. You know, with five people dying a day in BC, you would think that this would be, you know, if not top priority because of COVID, it would be the next on the list. New polling data from Angus Reid paints a grim picture. People aren't paying attention to this health emergency, even in Vancouver, 
where just 50% of people surveyed think it's a crisis. Uh, definitely the opioid crisis is taking a back seat in terms of the amount of time and space people have within a pretty limited amount of emotional and mental bandwidth to give. When asked what to do about the crisis, people were all over the map. The issue is complicated. 65% of people support safe injection sites. 59% support decriminalization. Yet there's also wide support for ideas that haven't worked. 88% are in favor of mandatory treatment. And 45% want to see harsher punishment for drug users. There does seem to be a consensus on the job the provincial government is doing two-thirds critical of the NDP. British Columbia is leading the country. We're trying things no one else has tried. But the fact that we still have deaths means, yes, there is much more to do, and we're determined to do it. Nearly five people a day are dying in B.C. due to opioids. A number, according to advocates, not likely to come down anytime soon without bold action at every level. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Well, Pink Shirt Day may have moved online because of the pandemic, but its anti-bullying message this year is as strong and relevant as ever. British Columbians are showing their support by wearing pink and posting pictures on social media. The Prime Minister is in on it as well with a post of his three kids all dressed in different shades of pink. Granville Island also marking the day by lighting up the island in pink. And the grade two class from St. Augustine School in Vancouver where my son happens to go, went above and beyond with this adorable message. Pretty cute. More than $2.5 million has been raised for anti-bullying programs in B.C. You can still donate more by heading to pinkshirtday.ca slash donate. <laughs> well done, kids. Yeah, good job. Still to come, reconstructing Tiger Woods' brush with death. The vehicle does not appear to change direction after that. The BC company helping explain how the crash could have happened. But first, why there is no better time to be in the boat business than right now. What in the world's going on with this snow in the forecast? Exactly, exactly, Christy. Uh, I, I, you know what, I don't think you have to worry. There may be some areas that we'll have to shovel, so that's what I want to highlight, because I always want to give you the possibility so that you're not surprised and wondering, why do I have to shovel? Christy said I didn't have to. All right, so here's a look at this evening. As the system moves in, there may be parts of Campbell River, Sunshine Coast that may see some snow initially, but for the most part, it's going to be rain initially. It's not until the overnight period when temperatures drop down and we have enough intensity that we may see a transition from rain to snow or just a mix of rain and snow. But again, areas like Victoria, likely not. Southwestern Metro Vancouver, you'll likely continue as rain, but it's northeastern parts of Metro Vancouver that we could see accumulation. So that's the Tri-Cities, Burnaby, out towards Maple Ridge, and then the North Shore, for example. And then we're certainly watching the Sea to Sky Highway, areas away from the water on Vancouver Island as well. And I want to point out that it may clear out in time for your commute 
to work. We may even see some breaks of blue sky. That cold front moves quickly and we'll start to see just a chance of showers with some breaks here and there throughout the day. But here's that uh, example of what we could see. Again, western, southwestern sections, not much. And then the further northeast you go, you could get some accumulations. We do have snowfall warnings for northern regions and coastal regions. Uh, wind warnings. We're going to see heavy snow on the Coquihalla as well as Hope Princeton and Sea to Sky tonight through much of the day tomorrow. Although tomorrow it's going to be a lot spottier. So you may see some breaks of blue sky. But don't let that fool you if you're traveling the mountain passes because all of a sudden you may have a brief downburst of snowfall. So some breaks of blue sky certainly tomorrow, but still a chance of a shower. And for our region, we'll continue with that pattern on Friday also. So not too bad, but the biggest concern will be the gusty winds, uh, not only tomorrow, but into Friday also. And I'll leave you with tonight's central windows weather window from Brentwood Bay. Margaret sending us this from her windshield this morning. So cool, the crystals. Wow, thanks, Christy. Margaret. It is one of the province's largest annual trade shows. And in the face of the pandemic this year, the Vancouver International Boat Show is going virtual. As Linda Aylesworth reports, the online exhibition comes as the popularity of recreational boating hits a new high. We are getting on board the 2021 Boston Whaler 325 Pilot House. Thinking about buying a boat? We have a pull-out grill so you can catch your food and eat it and have a wonderful fresh lunch. If you are, you're not alone. The pandemic is bringing out the mariner and a growing number of British Columbians. We've seen a significant uptick in the level of interest uh, by new boaters, young families, people that are looking for a safe way to get out. You can stay within your safe bubble. You can get on your, on your boat, anchor in a bay with very few people around you. Clearly, this would have been a bad year to cancel the Vancouver International Boat Show. But since packing people together inside BC Place Stadium and on Granville Island docks was not an option, they decided to try something new. We are virtual and we are online. We are taking... Uh, all of the exhibitors that would normally be at the two venues, bringing them into one marketplace platform. And so free of charge from the comfort of your home, you can register at vancouverboatshow.ca and start shopping. And if something uh, aligns for you, you see something you're really excited about, we will set up a COVID-safe VIP appointment for you to tour the boat. One of the upsides of going virtual is that boat dealers are not limited by the amount of space available. A dealer that could only showcase... 10 boats within their within their space normally now has the ability to showcase up to 100. On the other hand, the pandemic has affected the number of boats available because production had to be stopped for a while last spring. They, the manufacturers are working hard to get on stream, but with COVID, everything from supply chain to shipping has really caused a lot of disruptions. But if you're lucky enough to find your dream boat, it will undoubtedly help you sail through the pandemic a lot easier. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Those modern boats just look so awesome. I could Uh, live on one. I'd live on one, too, (laughs) if I could afford one. Mm -hmm. Not in the cards right now. Okay, Squire is here. Are you all mic'd up, ready to roll? Testing, one, two. I'm good. good. We can hear you. Yeah, I had to do a little bit of of work here. Uh, Okay, so we're going to talk about the Canucks. Speaking of doing a little bit of work, they need to do some work to get back in the uh, playoff race which is drifting further and further away. Playoff Island is getting further in the distance. We'll talk about some line changes that were made at practice today, including a change on the top line. 
All right, sounds good. Thanks, Squire. Also tonight, experts from BC helping answer how the crash involving Tiger Woods happened. Everyone. Breathing exercises. <laughs> In through the nose, out through the mouth. You guys talk amongst yourself for 15 seconds. Diaphragmatic breathing because Squire had to run. <laughs> <laughs> and he needs to... I would love to tell you that I'm in much better shape, but <laughs> evidently not. It's so. a big building that you have to run. It is, and my office is a long way away, and there are obstacles as well. So, ready? Yeah, let's go. <sighs> well, we already knew that two goal leads for the Vancouver Canucks weren't very safe. Last night, we found out three goal leads are rather precarious as well. Now, that loss to the Oilers was a gut punch in many ways. But, at least this time, the Canucks cannot say, well, we played well and we're unlucky. They were getting tired of saying that, and last night, they didn't have to say it, because it wasn't true. Edmonton was a better team, which brings us to a guy who looks more frustrated than the fans. Wow, I really am out of breath. <laughs> I know, I should have just done a short intro. It brings us to a guy who is more frustrated than the fans, J.T. Miller, somebody who definitely, like me, cannot hide what's happening to him. <laughs> Miller gave it away. No player exudes the Canucks' level of frustration more than J.T. Miller. Miller's a skating test case on body language. And right now, like the Canucks play, it isn't good. Pass for Miller, who again looks completely frustrated, if not disgruntled, headed to the Vancouver bench. Obviously, nothing's really been crazy smooth this year for myself or as a team. So it's it's frustrating game, and I'm not gonna, you know, apologize for being a frustrated hockey player. I think that makes me who I am, and you know, makes me play with an edge. So I think uh, I'm aware of finding a time and place, but you know, it's been 22 games now, and we still don't have the results we're looking for. So Pedersen in front, Miller scores. Now it's not that JT Miller is playing horrible. He's still averaging a point a game and his three points back at Brock Besser for the team's scoring lead. But this year, something seems off. Seldom does a game go by when he isn't raining down a storm of F-bombs. But how often did you see him get glares like this from a teammate a season ago? I want to win, and we're not winning. And um, it seems pretty simple. Try not to, but at the same time, when you keep doing the same things and making the same mistakes and giving up leads and chasing the game and... You know, it's exhausting. It's emotionally draining. It's frustrating. I try to find a balance between breaking a stick, you know, dropping F-bombs or looking like, you know, whatever you guys see that I don't. Wednesday at practice, Miller found himself skating on the third line alongside Brandon Sutter and Adam Gaudet. Canucks coach Travis Green has never been one to throw his players under the bus. If anything, he blames himself for Miller's frustrations. Last year, we couldn't say enough good things about him. And yeah, maybe it hasn't gone perfect for him this year, but I've got to do a better job in managing his ice time. I think I'm giving him too many minutes, and it's hard not to when you got a player that plays the way he does. I think when people get tired, uh, they tend to be prone to a few too many mistakes. But I'm not going to sit here and, and rip on JT Miller at all. So with J.T. Miller on the third line at practice, Nils Hoaglander took his place on the first line with Elias Pettersson and Brock Besser. Of course, he's been the energizer bunny for the second line, Bo Horvat. But will today's first line be the first line against Edmonton on Thursday night? Uh, I wanted to get a different look in practice. Um, 
that's that's probably the bottom line. And I didn't like the way we played last night. So uh, might see a few changes in our lines tomorrow. And wanted to get we did some game like drills today. To see that glare, Travis Green was given someone there. Yeah. Okay, the uh, Montreal Canadiens fired head coach Claude Julien today and replaced him with assistant coach Dominic Ducharme. You might remember the Habs started this season 7-1-2, and 16 points in their first 10 games, but nine of those points came against the Vancouver Canucks. If they played the Canucks more, Julian would still have a job. But um, apparently the Hab players started tuning Julian out, and Montreal was losing in recent weeks, so Ducharme is a guy the Canadians eventually wanted to promote to head coach, and now they have done so. At the She Believes Cup Canada... Had a rough game against the Brazilians today. Dabina off the post and in. A lot of the main Canadian players weren't at this tournament because either they were hurt or they couldn't get off their club teams in Europe. Here's another goal for the Brazilians. Julia, just like the Brazilian men, they like to go with the one names when it comes to soccer. So Brazil beats Canada by the score of 2-0 and Canada leaves the tournament 1-2. and uh, Champions League action, Manchester United against Borussia Mönchengladbach. And this is Bernardo Silva getting his head on it and giving it a 1-0 lead for Manchester City, which is red hot these days. Uh, Gabriel Jesus from Silva gets the second goal. Man City wins this by the score of 2-0. Big upset at the Scotties today. The Northwest Territories. Skipped by Kerry Galusha, beat Ontario and Rachel Holman, 7-5. Not many, even the Northwest Territory players, expected that to happen. Uh, BC right now has a record of 3-3. Oh, I feel so much better. (laughs) Now you can rest. Yeah. All right, now Jay Durant's up with a preview of Global News at 11. Jay? Thank you very much, Chris. We'll have more tonight on comments by Dr. Bonnie Henry that are not sitting well with BC RCMP members. Plus, we have a crew on the Coquihalla where a snowfall warning is in effect. Not looking too bad at the moment, but up to 30 centimeters is expected by Friday morning. And getting ready for another forest fire season in B.C. We'll show you the new weapon available should homes on the North Shore become threat. No stories and a lot more tonight at 11. Sounds good. Thanks very much, Jay. Up next, how a B.C. man became the go-to expert whenever a celebrity crashes their car. Tiger Woods is awake and responsive following emergency surgery yesterday after that horrifying crash in Los Angeles. Tiger's doctors gave an update last night. He has significant injuries to his lower right leg and ankle that needed rods, screws and pins to stabilize. Woods flipped his SUV on Tuesday morning. The road where the accident happened is steep and windy. At the time, he was on his way to another day of giving lessons to celebrities for the Golf Channel. He was seen alongside former NBA star Dwayne Wade on Monday. Now, officials say speed was likely a factor as there were no signs of impairment. Seatbelt and airbags credited with saving his life. Tiger's celebrity status means entertainment networks are eager for information and analysis of the crash. 
CFJC's Chad Klassen explains how that search led them to a Kamloops engineer. There's a host of information from this. We can see the massive destruction on the frontal surfaces. All the airbags have deployed. As, uh, the rear bumper uh, has come off. There's some uh, belongings, his golf bag, that have been ejected. Tim Leggett is an accident reconstruction engineer based in Kamloops that's been analyzing crashes like this for 35 years. His company, Forensic Dynamics, mainly analyzes crashes for insurance purposes. In this case, Entertainment Tonight hired Leggett to look into exactly what happened to Tiger Woods. From the time he hits the median on his side of the road till the time he hits the other median, or at least the other curb on the other side of the road, is close to 200 feet. And then... Not only that, but after he goes through all of these impacts, and there, and there could be, you know, it, this could be more than one complete end-over-end roll. There's no doubt in my mind that there's speed involved here. Leggett says the investigation is in the very early stages. And like the investigators on the ground in L.A., he's eager to see the information that comes out of the vehicle's black box. We'll know exactly how fast the vehicle is going. We'll know exactly what, what braking, if any, was, was undertaking. We'll know the, the angle of the steering it doesn't appear that there is any steering. Once he, he steers hard into the left and 15 degrees and hits that first um, curb, the vehicle does not appear to change direction after that. So that in itself is odd. Leggett is no stranger to analyzing car crashes involving celebrities. He looked into the crash that killed Paul Walker in 2013. He's also analyzed two other crashes involving Woods. He's become a go-to guy for many entertainment networks. I, you know, I, I do a lot of media work out of L.A., and uh, I think that they, they kind of find out about uh, my little specialty or niche or whatever you want to call it, and so they just give me a ring and say, we've got a, you know, a video here. Well, Jack Lassen, CFJC News. Interesting to find out. Sure would be. Uh, okay, because a lot of people might be in this snow zone, let's mm-hmm. get the last word on weather from Christy here. I'm really hoping this won't affect the commute to work. It looks like the main event would be overnight. And for the most part, it's just rain for many areas. But there are some higher elevation regions, some localized areas that could see some accumulations. All right. Thank you. And thanks to everybody who supported Pink Shirt Day. (laughs) Have a great night, everybody. Good night, all.